Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. For me, I'm just blown away by this plant. I mean, the healing it seems to do for people is I've never seen anything like it before. And it's nature at its best. And I think it's brought people back from a very dark part of their life into the light. If there was one word I would use for what Kratom does for people, it gives them hope. Welcome to Stand Up, Speak Up, a Canadian-made podcast highlighting important social issues and giving a voice to remarkable people. Canada is experiencing record numbers of deaths from opioid overdoses. In 2017, there were an estimated 4,000 drug overdose deaths in the country. So a substance that may be able to put a dent in that number is worth looking into. It's called Crotum, although you'll hear varying pronunciations even within this episode. During Stand Up Speak Up's multi-part series, you'll hear from experts who have studied Crotum, groups pushing for its acceptance, and real stories from real people who believe Crotum changed and maybe even saved their lives. Crotum is a leafy plant from Southeast Asia, from the coffee family. It's an ancient drug traditionally used to relieve pain, increase energy, appetite, and sexual desire. It was also known to be used as an opium substitute in the 18th and 19th centuries. In 2013, the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration said Crotum had no legitimate medical use. Recently, the FDA issued a health advisory against the plant, which some claim is spreading misinformation about its dangers, not backed up with any scientific evidence. Currently, Crotum can be sold legally in Canada in a powdered form, but only for aromatherapy purposes. At this time, it has not been approved for consumption by Health Canada. One of the groups pushing for Crotum's acceptance is the Botanical Education Alliance. They've been gathering data highlighting Crotum's positive safety profile, non-addictive potential, and low abuse profile. The FDA, on the other hand, says that Crotum has similar effects to narcotics like opioids, carrying similar risks of abuse, addiction, and even death. In this series, we'll attempt to lay out the facts, see all sides of the story, and seek to understand the truth behind Crotum. Coming up, we'll speak with Dr. Edward W. Boyer of the Harvard Medical School, along with Angela Watson and David Darian of the Botanical Education Alliance. But first, let's talk with host Carla Stevens-Tolstoy, who has been actively learning from the Crotum community online and also by using it herself. It actually requires quite a bit of patience and discipline because it's not like you just get a pill or something or you get a capsule and you just take it. You have to really find what strain works for you. It does require commitment. So what I what I did, and I still do, is I have a sheet of paper that lists all the strains. And then what I do is I write the strain based on like, how did I feel like 20 minutes after I took the strain? So did I feel woozy? Because if you feel woozy or you get um, a headache, it's because you took too much of it. It's it's actually really good at telling you what your what your dose should be for your body. 
because if you get a little bit nauseous, a little bit woozy, it, it's just an indication like, okay, you know what? You need to taper off that a little bit. And then I also put like, how did my mood change um, when I had my bad neck? Um, I put, how does the pain feel? So I kind of, you, you, you have to track it because it works so differently for every person. So approximately how many strains are we talking here now that you are, are experimenting with? How many are there? Oh, my God. Well, for me, probably like 10, but there's like 50. Like there's new because people put combinations together. So there's like the main ones. There's like there's red and white kind of are the two main strains, red and white. But people then mix them together to create. So you put red and white together, you get green. Then you put green together with maybe more red and you get yellow. Do you know what I mean? So it's like really, you know, you're really always making different combinations and people are always testing it to see what works best for themselves and and depending on what their issue is. So last night I could not sleep. I have a lot of trouble sleeping. But last night I knew it was going to be a long night because I just could feel it was going to be hard for me to sleep. So what I did is I took, some red before like 10 o'clock. And then I just took a little bit at a time. And then I just gradually took more up till like one in the morning. And then I did fall asleep because I, I have never taken it for sleep before. So I didn't want to just take a whole heaping full and then not feel good. Say with essential oils, you would go to the store and they would say, you know, this one should have this effect on you, things like that. So are the strains kind of marketed in that way as well, where they say this one might help you sleep? Yes. Like in Canada, you're not allowed to market Kratom for human consumption. So they actually don't give you really any information. And in the States that it's not approved, you can't really ask the supplier for information. So I like to order from a supplier where it's approved so that they can be more open with me and coach me a little bit on it. And also the forms are super important. Like I'm always posting in the forms. The community is super, super supportive. Now, did you say, you said the supplier that is approved, do you mean one that's not in Canada right now? Yes. Okay. Now, about the, right, the the legality in Canada, it's not approved for human consumption, but it is, it's okay to be sold in a powder form for aromatherapy. Now, do the, uh, can they market benefits using it for aromatherapy? And would those benefits be similar that you would get, say, when you ingested it? Or what's, what's the story there? Um, no, no, I think you really have to ingest it. And I think it's very, it's it's very frustrating for the Kratom community because there's so many other things out there that have been approved, like cannabis for, for instance. And I have, um, of course, like a lot of people tested cannabis and cannabis just doesn't work for my, for my system, for my metabolism. I don't enjoy the effects of cannabis. It makes me too lethargic, which I also don't enjoy. I like Kratom in that you can have a relaxation effect, but also get energy. Whereas I don't feel there's as much flexibility with the cannabis, but the cannabis um, groups are also super passionate and they believe hundred percent in cannabis. So I'm sure if I was on cannabis support forms, they would be telling you what different strains to also take. Cause I know there's quite a few different ones for cannabis. It just, my body doesn't metabolize cannabis. It just, I've never had a good experience from it. 
So you're talking about how you're you're basically being pretty safe with it. You're tracking how much you take, taking a bit at a time to see how it affects you. Is that the case with everyone that's using it, or are some people a little more reckless that would you know use it for say an opioid replacement, or is it all kind of like this? I feel like people, at least on the forms, are very responsible. I mean, that's another thing I find really you know surprising is that I feel people take their recovery or what they're doing very seriously, and a lot of people that are using kratom for you know a herbal supplement. They are so used to being on so many different pain meds or different or uh, methadone or any of the suboxone that they're pretty they're pretty diligent with managing dosages and amounts. I would say, um, like surprisingly, I'd say it's a very conscientious following kratom has. But you can't overdose on kratom. I know that there's lots of people that would challenge that, but as soon as you take too much, you actually get a stomach ache. And now, I, I guess when we think of, you know, the uh, the opi- opioid crisis in Canada, the amount of deaths we hear about overdoses, I guess we would have a certain kind of stereotypical image in our minds of who the type of person would be that would say overdose on a drug like that. But not everyone is like that. Some people are just regular people like you and me that are, are you know, suffering from a certain thing, whether That's it's right. pain or whatever, that are on meds for this. And they just find that this... Uh, it's a lot better, you know, for all the the, the benefits that we've heard about, they prefer this method. Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, when I had, whenever I've had um, pain issues, which, which isn't that often. um, So I can't relate completely, but whenever I do, I find it debilitating when I get bad headaches, I find it debilitating. So I can't imagine what it must feel like to live with pain every day. I mean, you would, I, I would go insane. I would go insane. It would be so frustrating. And I feel like Kratom has given people an alternative and hope and, and moments of feeling better and not having all these toxic chemicals be put into you like the Oxy does. You know, and in some of the stories that you'll hear is that some, and sometimes in quite a few cases, oxys can make you actually feel worse. How do all of these feel? Does anything like in terms of a high, does it make you feel like anything or any strains or is it just, you know, you just fall asleep and you don't really feel anything like in, in the case of the one that helped you sleep. Can you talk a bit about how it feels? I would say that it kind of relaxes you a bit. So relaxes your body a bit and relaxes your mind and just makes you feel calm. And then naturally sleep just kind of comes on when your body's not in such um, intensity or, you know, adrenaline overload or screen overload. That's how it feels for me. I mean, it's, that's my, that's my reaction. When I take um, the yellow or the green, it's not like I can identify like a specific feeling. It's not like I can be like, oh my God, I feel so happy and good. It's just, it happens really subtle. And all of a sudden you're like, wait, I don't feel anxious right now. It's more like that. Like, huh, it's interesting. Or I don't feel as sad right now. So it's not like this euphoria that you, that you might get with a harder drug where you're like, oh my God, you know, like I feel on top of the world. 
it's it's more of a subtle feeling. Dr. Edward W. Boyer is a member of faculty at Harvard Medical School. An attending physician at the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston has a doctorate in synthetic organic chemistry, a postdoc in protein design, an interest in drug abuse research, and more. Carla speaks with him now. Okay, so I had no idea that it's actually illegal in the States and that the government is trying to crack down. So is it like, is this, is this really serious? Does this have long-lasting effect? So remember, we've got the individual states that can criminalize different things. So different, uh, you know, different, different states have criminalized, have criminalized chronomies. Uh It may not be necessarily illegal on the United States front. Like, that was, that was the whole point behind scheduling it. And the, and the objection to scheduling it last, uh, last year, I believe. Now, what type of drug is it? Okay. It seems to have opioid effects. It is, you know, it binds to the mu opioid receptor, which is where most of the activity of heroin and other opioid analgesics seem to act. Crotum, however, may be slightly different. Uh, you'd like to think that if I took a heroin molecule and stuck it into my receptor, it would operate in the exact same way because it's bound at the receptor as every other drug that bound into the same receptor. But that's, that's not necessarily true. And crotum may be distinct in that it lacks interactions with a particular molecule called beta-arrestin, which in normal dosing prevents respiratory depression. Now, can you get addicted to crotum? Certainly. And one of my first publications involved a gentleman who switched over from injection uh, injection hydromorphone use to making a crotum tea and drinking it. He wound up using you know, tens of thousands of dollars of crotum per year. And if that's not if that's not a measure of compulsive use, I don't know what is. What I found interesting is that when he wound up stopping crotum because of a hospitalization, nobody Nobody knew about crotum. Nobody had heard of it, so nobody would give it to him. He stopped, he stopped crotum cold turkey. So he went from injection drug use through a period of crotum use to nothing, and all he had was a runny nose. Now, I think that's pretty remarkable. It makes it a compound that is worthy of further study. But what I can also tell you is that you hope that the stuff you bought online was actually chronic. And in the United States, at least, there's nothing that prevents manufacturers from adding other compounds to it, from giving other drugs along with it. Uh, or in some cases, we've actually found where the manufacturers, were, we believe, were taking the active components of chronic, nitrogynine and 7-hydroxymitrogynine, and adding them to crotum itself so that it looked like crotum it smelled like crotum it tasted like crotum but with all the other stuff that had been added to it it was a super uh it was a super strong mix so it really is buyer beware in terms of who gets what yeah that's really it's really interesting like it's because i was on a lot of forms because i just you know heard about this maybe a few months ago and and i can't believe how big the following is and the videos and the forms and so many people are saying I was addicted to oxy and now I'm no longer addicted and I have like 
I have like a glass of tea in the morning and a glass of tea at night. Like I couldn't believe all the people that were previous addicts were, yeah. were now it's oh. helped them get off of it. I mean, I was shocked. Yeah. I mean, you read the testimonials and it's remarkable, but I got to tell you, I tried to do a study a few years ago that was funded by National Institutes of Health. And the Drug Enforcement Administration Intelligence Group published you know, reports of crowd that were published online. So when I went to the National Center for Complementary Alternative Medicine, where dietary supplement research is, is funded in the, uh, at, the, at the federal level, they said, oh, we don't fund it. It's, uh, it's a drug of abuse. It's like, okay. So I went to National Institutes on Drug Abuse, and they came back and said, oh, it's a dietary supplement. We don't fund dietary supplement research. So you know, nobody, nobody was interested really in funding much of anything at the federal government level, even though there were you know, fascinating, you know, fascinating reports of cessation of injection drug use. But the problem is you don't know what they're actually getting. Uh, they replaced... <laughs> You're right. We've had people as well who had outright hydrocodone added to their economy. And hydrocodone added to the problem, you know, <laughs> that doesn't do anybody any good. <laughs> the, the thing is, is that it's not very expensive to buy. So they, they would still, I mean, for them to make a profit and add all those other drugs in, they'd have to push up the price because you can basically get, you know, a month for sure for 40 bucks. I mean, most people say they spend 30 bucks, you know, a month. And these are ex-addicts. That we're spending, yeah. you know, a thousand a month, two thousand a month. No, I, I, I get it. I, I've talked to these people. I mean, you know, like there was a there was a flurry of press activity last year related to the DEA rescheduling, and after that, I've got you know, like uh, you know, like several emails from individuals who use crime saying, "If you ever want to do crime research, let me know." And I appreciate it, but you know, it's at the same time, it's kind of unethical of me to buy Crotum online and give it to people and see if they're, you know, like if they, if they have a beneficial response from it, if I can't do rigorous testing of the plant product, you know, because it's not made according to good manufacturing processes and we don't know what the content actually is. So, you know, like I, I get what they're saying and I don't want to, like I don't want to delay treatment of opioid addiction or dependence but at the same time, I've also, as a toxicologist, because we see the the interesting the interesting cases. You know, I also have seen people who received dietary supplements and it came extremely badly, you know, just became very badly poisoned from them, and in a couple of cases died. So, you know, I don't know where I don't know where that where that balance should be. Dr. Boyer was one of my first interviews as I was learning about Kratom. So at the time, I was not as educated as I am now with my questions. And one of the things he raises quite a bit is what happens if the Kratom sold is contaminated. And what I can say about that is on the forums, they often have approved Kratom suppliers. And if their Kratom supplier is approved, it means they have to do testing of their Kratom to make sure that there is no extra additives put in. The Kratom forums are very diligent with this. They're very obsessed with this. Um, they do not allow 
other Kratom suppliers to try to message their members, to try to get them to buy their Kratom. They really take a stance that says, do not buy any Kratom from anywhere unless it has been approved. So the community um, has dealt with that in a really interesting way of making sure exactly what Dr. Boyer says doesn't happen. I mean, people are still going to buy from people off the street or maybe try to get a better deal. What I would say to people is don't try to get a deal and create them. Don't try to go to the cheap supplier. Go to an approved supplier. All you have to do is go on some of the forums. There's lots of Kratom forums and just review supplier, like a supplier approved companies. I cannot stress that enough. Do you believe then that drugs should be legalized so that we know exactly how they're made? Do you think that would help? Do you think that's a good thing? to legalize drugs? That's going to be too broad a question. What I will tell you is that I think it's, I think it's reasonable to establish a, a regulatory system so that if investigators want to perform research on the, on the chemical, then they can. What the DEA wanted to do last year was move it to a schedule where nobody could do research conveniently or easily. And that doesn't benefit anybody either. Why would they do that? And, and when you mean scheduling, what do you mean? You mean put onto the radar? Or- okay, so the, the Drug Enforcement Administration has a number of classes of substances, uh, and they are called schedules. Like a Schedule One substance is something which has no accepted medical benefit and is used only for its recreational, and by, by correlation, it's used, or by extension, it's used only for its recreational effects. Would an example of that be ecstasy or a molly? Like, what are the examples of that? Uh, an example of that would be um, ecstasy. If you talk to the DEA, they would say that marijuana also falls into that because the the actual data for medical marijuana is extraordinarily poor. So heroin is also in that list. A Schedule two substance would be something that has some clinical use, but which still needs but but still has sufficient abuse liability associated with it that it needs to be carefully regulated. Cocaine is one. Uh, Methamphetamine is another. So methamphetamine is used for things like ADHD and cocaine is used. You can take cocaine-soaked pledges and use it to stop a nosebleed. So that brings us to Schedule 3, and those are the opioid analgesics, which you know are used to treat pain, but which also have substantive abuse liability, and then and that it continues on from there. So, at the end of the day, DEA wanted to reschedule it because there was no commonly accepted medical use, and there were increasing numbers of cases out there. And let's face it, this guy named Boyer published a case of where an individual went from using injection hydromorphone to. $15,000 of crowd abuse per year. That's an abuse liability drug and it's got no accepted benefit. So let's reschedule it. I mean, but people spend that on uh, gambling and online shopping. And I mean, 15000 to not be an addict doesn't seem like a bad trade-off. I mean, was he acting like an addict? Depends how much of a Puritan you want to be. Uh, was he using Was he using the stuff all the time? Yeah, he was. He was he was drinking it four times a day. And I have to tell you, yeah, I recognize that you're 
you know, your interviews might say that people use it once in the morning and once at night, but typically it's about every two to three hours based on the pharmacokinetics of the drug that people, that people will redose. Frankly, he was using it in a manner consistent with that. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't using it excessively. He was just using it all the time and it was expensive and, you know, he wasn't injecting himself with drugs and doing unfortunate things in his household. But he also noticed other things like he could, you know, he noticed that when his wife spoke to him, he was paying attention. You know, it was no longer this sort of friendly static in the background that you kind of go, uh-huh, to. Like he was actually paying attention to her. So, so there's some, you know, there's some, some things that he found beneficial about it. Uh, in addition to not injecting himself with drugs. <laughs> the benefit of that should not be underestimated. I mean, I didn't realize until you told me all this because I just ordered it. It came. It's like a plant. <laughs> you know, it's like it this is, plant. It is a plant. And I'm like, well, how, how, how strong can this stuff be? I mean, it's like, wow, these people have like, it's miracle cures for everything. Yeah. Did you make it into a tea? I did. They call it kratom juice in, in Malaysia. Interesting. Yeah, well, you know what? Make, I made it into a tea. I um, I put it in all different containers so I could see the different strains. To, just to understand, to do this podcast episode, I I really, I really wanted to go. Wow! And you know what? I have to say, it delivers what it says it's going to deliver. I mean, a a friend of mine's got a really really bad hip. She's going in for like a hip replacement in a year, and so I gave her the one for pain relief, and she gets um, some hard drugs. I don't know if they're they're oxy. I don't know what they are, and she prefers the tea over that. Yeah, well, the neurochemistry of kratom is pretty fascinating. I mean, it's got serotonergic, adrenergic, uh, neuropioid binding affinities. So, you know, like it's got a remarkable, remarkable pharmacologic profile. So a lot of people like it because they don't feel they don't feel as dopey on on kratom as they do on as as they do on oxycodone. Having climbed stairs after taking an oxycodone, I mean, <laughs> you know, forget this stuff that Red Bull does. <laughs> you know, with extreme sports, you, you climb a pair of stairs on oxycodone while you're on crutches. That's an extreme sport. Okay, wait. Like I thought, oxy it makes right? you kind of sleepy. What does oxy do? It, it it makes you sleepy. For me, it just may be a little bit dopey as well. You know, you need to be you need to be alert when you're climbing stairs on crutches. Yes. Okay. So, does Oxy ever give energy or give like? No, no. Remember uh, that scene from Wizard of Oz where they run through the field of poppies and they all lie down and fall asleep. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what. Uh, oh, that's what it's about. That's like. Okay, so I, I didn't. Yeah. Okay, so for people taking kratom, it would be. I mean, it's not only a pain reliever; it's it's an energy boost. I mean, it, like she literally had so much energy. But that's what this guy noticed. Is like he was suddenly paying attention to his wife. He's a software engineer. He was programming rather than than sleeping. So you know, it gets fantastic. But you know, I'll be honest with you. I can create every one of those neuropsychiatric effects: decrease pain, increase alertness with other stuff that I add to Chrome. Is it pure is what you're saying? People could put stuff in there and make it. But as yeah. I said, it's not expensive to buy. So it's got to be expensive to add that other stuff in. Nah. It's not, eh? No. <laughs> it's really not. I mean, Asian patent medicine manufacturers have added uh, pharmaceutical products for years so that they're 
patent medicines have effectiveness. I had a 10-year-old kid who had seizure disorder treated with a compound called Dionkixing, which actually had both phenobarb and bromide added to it. Really? Why would they do that? Well, so, so people actually had an effect. You want it to actually do what it's advertised to do? Well, put some phenobarb in, it'll, it'll blunt seizure activity. And bromide's another dirt-cheap, ancient set of hypnotic. Maybe it'll have an effect, too. So, you know, it's, they're unscrupulous manufacturers everywhere. You just, you just can't prove to me that what you actually took based on an online sales slip was actually Crotum. We'll get back to part one of our series on Crotum in just a minute. Just a quick interjection. I'm Zach Tolstoy, one of the founders of Stand Up Speak Up. Our podcast is just one part of the Stand Up Speak Up brand. We are supported by an online store of the same name where we sell a variety of artisan products. We have an ongoing blog series with over a dozen contributors, and we offer a series of interactive workshops. Throughout the different iterations of Stand Up Speak Up, our core message and purpose have always been the same. To create a site that allows our customers and us more opportunities to speak up about and support causes, organizations, and groups that we're passionate about, and that of course could use additional support. My mother and I have learned about allyship over the years from what feels like a thousand and one places and people. We want to encourage members of this fantastic Stand Up Speak Up community to come along and learn with us. So along with our team, we created this workshop featuring videos, articles, and exercises that have really helped the two of us in our own journey towards allyship. Don't worry, it doesn't cost any money, and you don't need to make an account to access the information. We want to make our workshop as accessible as possible because we believe in our message and understand the importance of spreading awareness. The Ally Workshop is split into eight parts, including interactive quizzes and helpful videos. It's intended to introduce you to new skills and courses of action in the world of allyship. The workshop is easy to use and can be done entirely on your cell phone, tablet, or computer at your own pace, with each of the eight sections taking an average of about 15 minutes or so to complete, or a breezy couple hours on a Sunday afternoon. Joining Carla now are Angela Watson and David Darian from the Botanical Education Alliance. The BEA is a leader in the Crotum community, dedicated to educating consumers, lawmakers, law enforcement, and the media about safe and therapeutic natural supplements with a focus on Crotum. You can read more about them at botanical-education.org. Marijuana is now legal in Canada. What would prevent Kratom from just riding the coattails of marijuana? If, we're, if you're talking about in Canada and in the U.S., really, like, regulatory, it, it, it would, if, if people actually submitted the paperwork that's required by law, then the government can't say no. So, for example, and David can speak a little bit to this, in the States, it's called New Dietary Ingredient Application. They publicly switched from Crown being a drug to a new dietary ingredient, I believe in 2015. They're trying to go back, but legally, they, I don't think they can. And it requires Crown companies to, to do the, the paperwork, hire a toxicologist, and or not do it themselves, but 
it's easier to hire a toxicologist and submit the paperwork. And the same in Canada. You know, you have to do your natural health product. Um, marijuana is under a different classification, but it already has done that paperwork. Someone has already proven historical use or they've proven that it's an MHP in the case of some of the hemp derivatives. So I believe the marijuana industry was as disorganized, but a few leaders emerged and did the right things, which paved the way for everyone else. And in the Kratom industry, yeah, David and I have talked a lot about this. It doesn't seem like there's, it's like in the cannabis industry, there's probably 20 leaders. In the Kratom industry, there's like one or two. And we need those 20 leaders to come forward and, and, and say, hey, this is the way it's going to be done. And then the government starts to get on side because they see these bigger companies doing this compliance side of things. And what would make a good leader? Like, what would be the profile of that person? I would think somebody that, you know, completely understands and uh, has been through, you know, the correct manufacturing of, of you know, compliant products and has a connection and a, and a knowledge of, of, you know, the industry. Do we have many people like that that could be called upon in Canada? I mean, are there names circulating of people that probably have that skill set? It's not a skill set, really. I mean, it, 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 it's the company wanting to do the work. And so far in Canada, there, it, there are one or two companies that, that are, are, as far as I understand, doing the work. Um, you know, I don't have the ability to say that. But for whatever reason in the crowd industry, everyone keeps thinking they can just, like, skirt you know, the laws, not be, have good manufacturing practices, make products that are way too strong for, you know, if you read the science and just, just keep going. I believe that having the importation being so difficult and a gray area that it deters large companies from wanting to be in this business, not, you know, at the fault of the botanical, but, you know, at the fault of of you know customs and, and the you know the rules yeah, that they have for importing it, there's no no real company is going to step in and put their resources towards this until that is changed. Why do you think it's getting a hard time? Is it just lack of understanding? Is it, as you said, the lack of funding for people to to do the paperwork? Like, what about the marijuana companies? Like, couldn't they just do all the paperwork? They've done it all before. Or is there no money in Kratom? There is money. I, just, I, you know, I was go ahead, speaking David. with some of the, the leaders of the cannabis industry, a publicly traded company about this about five years ago. And their take on the industry was, you know, uh, definitely way too, too risky at the time. And even when it was declared as a dietary supplement there, answer was, you know, only if, you know, we file an NDI and go down the path of compliance. And at that time, really any legal opinion you could get about, you know, the possibility of having, you know, success with the NDI was, uh, you know, everyone would say, you know, would be a, a, a gamble that you would probably lose was the you know, advice that we were given at that time. And I also think that the community that is so active for Kratom. And there's such a small segment of people that are using Kratom, but the community that is so active all have some interesting issues. And when they show up to speak or they show up in public, 
you're not getting Jay-Z showing up to talk about the war on drugs or the Drug Policy Alliance or relation to marijuana. You're getting Sally who, you know, has been trying to get up opiates for eight years and wants to show up and be passionate about it, but maybe looks like she was on opiates for, for, for eight years. And it's sad, but, but that is a perception thing with government. You know, they look at someone that doesn't look like they've had, you know, a, a lot of wins in their life and they categorize them as someone who is abusing anything. And so Kratom got lumped into that segment. It, it, it also because of the peril of the vendors, when it came out, it was used as an alternative to other products, even though it wasn't effective. So people packaged it to get quick sales, and the, that packaging really it damaged the It did. It came in on the coattails of a synthetic marijuana business, and it got lumped in with that in states and went straight into head shops and the medias and the moms yeah. got irate, and that snowball just... When it went out of control. You know, crowd is relatively new. No one is, is studying it in a major way like they did, you know, CBD, cannabis, hemp. I mean, the company that's just about to finish their investigative new drug on CBD was able to do it, I think, for $200 million and, and two years because all of the data that already existed, whereas for Kratom, you know, the data isn't there. The studies would be more, you know, be $500 million. And maybe four years. Is that the money it would cost to get all the studies done? That's for an investigative new drug. That's not for a dietary supplement. And but that's what a lot of the, the cannabis you know groups are doing is their own proprietary drugs because the money's there and there's that new fast track if it's helping with with anything to do with the opioid crisis. Whereas before it would take five years minimum and it cost eight hundred million minimum. So that's why all these drug companies if they don't have a guarantee or they're able to synthesize it, they don't move forward. That's for a drug. Like, let's make sure we're really clear. That's for an investigative new drug. To just do the NDI, which is a new dietary ingredient, you're not looking at that kind of money because you don't need to do the human studies. But what would it cost? What would it cost to get the right studies done for, I know you guys call it Kratom or Kratom. What, what would that be, do you think? Ballpark. It depends what you're doing it for. If you're doing it for a proprietary product, like an extract, it's going to cost a, 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 you know, a different amount of money. Um, you know, if you do a lot of the it would work cost yourself, about $2 million if you did it for a you know, proprietary extract. And yeah. that would include the, you know, building out of your own infrastructure to, to make that. It wouldn't all be regulatory expenses or science. It would be about half and half. But that's the entry fee it really was to get into the marijuana, the cannabis business professionally was about two to five million. Yeah, it's not that. It's not sure. that and, and cannabis is grass, which is generally recognized as safe, which means it has historical use in the United States. Uh, Kratom being an unknown prior to 1994 has to, a, a separate path that it has to go, which is a, a, a little more expensive, but it's, it's relative. What can people that see it as a benefit to the opiate crisis, you know, like, like even myself, I, I, I haven't come from that, that world, but I understand that it's, there's no solution right now. What can the average person do to help this advocacy? And the average person, I mean, what they have been doing, making phone calls to their state representatives, educating their neighbors, their friends, their family, um, writing letters to state representatives. You know, really educating, letting people know that this isn't a product of abuse, it's a product of use, and that it would be used like you would use, 
you know, ginkgo or St. John's wort. I mean, ginkgo, if you take Paxil's, causes seizures. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, you know, you know, there is going to be things that, that cross contraindications with Kratom and, and educating people that they have to be careful, but it's not unsafe. It's not like, you know, you're going to go out and, and, you know, drink a bottle of tequila and go into toxic shock. You know, you can drink a cup of Kratom tea and, and the effects are so benign. And I think it's important that it's it's not a, a cure or solution, at, you know, all by itself. It's it's a tool in the toolbox that you know people should should look at. Yeah, but it's it's viable for some and it works for some, but it's not by any means a you know a, a quick fix or a, or you know instant solution. It's just one of many tools that that should be available and researched more. This is not a solution in the raw form of the dietary supplement to the opioid crisis. I mean, that, that is not what's been sold in the market. That's not what should be sold in the market. And, and anyone who's saying otherwise, it's their personal view after going through other treatments. I mean, you don't just go from, hey, I have a, I have an ad- I'm an addict to I'm taking Crown. So that, that's, you know, a really important distinction. And I know a lot of the community likes to talk about how it's treated them and it's cured them and and, I, and I, I love that people have personal stories and they're so passionate about it. But as, as far as the legal aspect of it is, is concerned, you know, as an advocacy group and as, as you know, anyone who's a vendor, that, that isn't what crowding, you know, that's how the purpose of crowding in the marketplace right now. If someone wants to make an investigative new drug out of it, great. I think there's a, a huge code for it. But in current law format, it, it is uh, an adjunct therapy like, melatonin, like St. John's work, like ginkgo, you know, part of, of, of your you know, process, part of your, your daily, you know, your coffee in the morning to get a little energy boost. You could take crowd and get an energy boost. And it's not appropriate for everyone. I think that, you know, for, for, for people who are have low body weight or people who are children and they're taking, you know, a really strong extract, that'd be similar to, to taking uh, you know, a couple of red bulls. Like it's not appropriate for kids. So there's there's just those little things that what we've been trying to pride ourselves on is giving the education for people to understand that that stuff of the product can be used for and should be used for. And we know some of the other advocacy groups have a little bit of a different opinion, but you know, David and I are very well versed legally and have spent a lot of time with our, with our own independent legal teams as well as the organization legal team. And that's you know, that's really what they're saying. And that's what the agency has come out and said, too. Essentially, they've said, if you want to use it as a drug, then it needs to follow the process of a drug, which is an investigative new drug. John Dininger is a science educator and also a Kratom user. He joins Carla now. You know, I've been um, being treated for various psychiatric um, problems, depression, anxiety, that sort of thing. And with the, you know, traditional treatments, the pharmacological treatments, there's always some benefit, but never full benefit. I've always been looking for something to augment, you know, what the, what the actual drugs and the therapy and all that treatment doesn't kind of help with. And so I had uh, read about this. This was something I was aware of because I'm interested in psychopharmacology. Uh, you know, as a patient, I've always wanted to know more and more about the drugs and how they work. So I found out about it in that way as a sort of scientific curiosity. And when I heard more and more people talking about its anxiolytic effect, 
I tried it, you know, decided to run a little just kind of uh, experiment after, of course, I, you know, figured out, you know, where I can get it and what's a good trusted uh, source. And uh, yeah, it really, really helped a lot of the things that the actual medication doesn't help. And I sat down with my psychiatrist and she knows how much I know. So we kind of talked about the the potential for interactions and, and what is known about the metabolism and all that stuff. And we actually kind of tweaked some of the drugs I was on um, just to make sure that, you know, if there were any interactions uh, in terms of, you know, a lot of interactions occur in the liver uh, where the enzymes that break down one drug affect how they break down other drugs. And so that's where a lot of interactions occur. So, yeah, I did that in a, you know, really controlled manner with, you know, my physician's blessing. And, uh, yeah, I was amazed. It was really like one of those things where you, you try all these supplements and it's like, okay, I guess it's helping. And this was like, boom. Wow. Um, especially with anxiety, very, very social anxiety in particular. People who have social anxiety, it is, it's remarkable how effective it is. I just, I think of all the people that need mental health support and how hard it is to get. And the people like yourself that are educated, and I like to think that I'm semi-educated as well, that I probably have a better idea of how to navigate the system and that right. I, I do a lot of pre-work or follow-up and I'm pretty regimented with taking my my antidepressants, I would say I'm really now after so many years, I understand that I have to keep taking it. And then I look at someone that maybe doesn't have the education, doesn't have the, the support tools. And I think, Oh my God, how does anyone get through the system that doesn't have an advocate on their side? It's tragic. The tragedy, the word, you know, unquestionably the mental health system in America you know, just taking the whole access, you know, economic is, is just awful. It's awful. Even it's really bad in Canada too, because it's just harder for them to diagnose and analyze. And it takes so much trial and error and that costs money and time. And so when I've been on the, the Kratom uh, group pages and read people's stories, I feel like Kratom has given a lot of people hope. Oh, that's, that's, that's it right there. That if there was one word I would use for what Kratom does for people, it gives them hope that, that, I mean, that is the headline right there, whether it's pain, whether it's, you know, psychiatric, uh, mental health issues. Yeah. And it gives them a sense of control too, a sense of, and it's, a, it's affordable. I mean, which is amazing too. It's affordable. Mm hmm. It's very, actually, you know, some people get it directly from farmers, which is not a good idea with the whole FDA climate, but the, the wholesale price is unbelievably low because it's, I mean, it literally grows on trees and those trees are constantly producing these, these leaves. So it's bountiful. It's just a matter of getting it here. But yeah, it's, it's inexpensive. It gives people the ability to manage their own treatment and it's the same thing with cannabis you know and the medical system as it is doesn't like that 
for some good reasons and some bad reasons. But the bad reasons being they want they want patients to come back. They want them to need, need their doctors because that's job security and, and all that stuff. But the good reasons is because, you know, when people experiment, sometimes they're not as safe or mindful as they should be. But that's the wonderful thing about Kratom is that it is incredibly hard to do any damage with it. Your system seems to resist it. Like if I ever take a little bit too much of a dosage, I get sick immediately, like stomach ache. And so you're not tempted to just <laughs> go hardcore. Do you know what I mean? Like you're in like, whoa, my tummy hurts. And, and some days it could be even a little bit amounts. And I know that different ways work for different people. And I read that making a tea is more gentle on your stomach, which I've been doing just the wash and toss. Right. Is that the right toss and wash? Toss and wash, yeah. <laughs> but when, I, when I'm, you know, thinking Canada, the cannabis has been um, approved and it's going to be sold recreationally starting in July in Ontario. Mm -hmm. I think, well, Kratom can't be that far behind or it can't be that hard to get approved if cannabis has been approved. Or has cannabis got so many more years worth of studies? Uh, yeah, cannabis has a lot more research behind it, definitely. You know, the, there's, this is one of the reasons why people in the community are so frightened is because there's this idea out there that because these plants, you know, directly compete with pharmaceuticals and supplements, that there is a conspiracy and that doesn't mean it's not true. But there's this kind of, you know, the pharmaceutical companies are out to shut it down. And that plays a big role in how the regulations, the approval happens. Because if there's resistance, you know, the, FD, the way the FDA d deals with plants and supplements and, and drugs is, is very different for all of those different things. and if Kratom were to be regulated like a supplement, which I think it should be, those regulations are really loose. You know, they're really, uh, you can buy supplements in Walmart that have nothing in them but filler. They can't prosecute that. You know, if, they, if there's something in there that's dangerous, then it's a problem if they're making false claims. But the idea of getting it approved, I think... There's this sense, and I think there's a lot of truth to it, that there's a lot of people with a lot of power who don't want it to become a mainstream thing, regardless of the incredible potential it has. Yeah, I mean, the opioid the crisis is, is out of control. It's out of control. It's happening to towns and everywhere. So you think that the health, the Minister of Health for both countries, Canada and the U.S., would just be like, God, we want something that's like inexpensive. One, yeah, creating wins. Two, seems to help over 50% of people. True. Like they could probably spend just a year or two doing research and it could like save the crisis of opiates. So I don't know, I don't know how they get to the right people to get them on board with that because it makes such common sense. Yeah. And, and, uh, and the, one of the problems is that the people who make those decisions in the United States are in bed with with corporations uh the head of the fda gottlieb is 
You know, he used to work for, um, uh, was it GlaxoSmithKline? He comes from the pharmaceutical industry. And then when they leave, they go, it's a revolving door thing. And it's been that way forever. So, you know, when you say, well, why wouldn't they want something like that? Well, they've got products out there that are extremely expensive and lucrative that they want people to use. They want people to use the Suboxone. But it's so expensive. Yes, and it's hard to get. It's hard to get. It's expensive. But that's what they care about. That's the priority is, is the economics of it. In this first part of our series on Crotum, we've spoken with some experts and advocates for Crotum and heard some of the facts. Next time, we'll begin to take you inside the lives of real people who use Crotum as they share stories of success. Thanks for listening to Stand Up Speak Up. You can find show notes and resources for this episode at StandUpSpeakUpBlog.com. In our bonus content today, a bit more from the chat with Carla about her experience using Crotum, having others try it, and the varying effects. That's coming up. So tell me a story about your day And tell me you move in different ways I'm sorry There's got to be another way It's happening more than when we pray Lift me up and tear me down Cause I am not There's a little bit of me inside of you The humor's gone for maybe two For that I'm sorry Keeping it focused in the past That's how our parents made it last We are not alone inside of me These four walls, these four walls And we are not alone inside of me These four walls, these four walls Enough for me, don't you tell me it's not that good when it's good enough for me. for listening to our song choice today that was Derek Clegg with Four Walls and now your bonus content as you heard in the beginning interview with Carla she has been using Crotum herself she started taking it specifically for this podcast so she could better understand it now here's a little more of that interview as she tells me more about the effects that she felt and how Crotum affected other people that she had try it the territory for me is odd because I'm not obviously a big drug user but how do all of these feel? Does anything 
like in terms of a high, does it make you feel like anything or any strains, or is it just you know you just fall asleep and you don't really feel anything? Like in in the case of the one that helped you sleep, can you talk a bit about how it feels? I would say that it kind of relaxes you a bit, so it relaxes your body a bit and relaxes your mind, and just makes you feel calm. And then naturally, sleep just kind of comes on when your body's not in such intensity or, you know, adrenaline overload or screen overload. That's how it feels for me. I mean, it's, that's, my, that's my reaction. When I take um, the yellow or the green, it's not like I can identify a specific feeling. It's not like I can be like, oh, my God, I feel so happy and good. It's just it happens really subtle. And all of a sudden you're like, wait, I don't feel anxious right now. It's more like that. Like, huh, it's interesting. Or I don't feel as sad right now. So it's not like this euphoria that you, that you might get with a harder drug where you're like, oh my God, you know, like I feel on top of the world. It's, it's more of a subtle feeling. One thing I always think about is just something that even like Ativan, I had a couple times flying and I just think I'm not going to, it's not going to change my mind. I don't like flying. I'm I'll take it, but I'm still going to be anxious. And Holy shit. I had such a great time on the plane. <laughs> like we had so much turbulence and I was like, Oh my God, this is fun. I just couldn't, I can't believe I the effect it has on you. Oh, I know. Like Ativan's amazing. Uh, you know, I've had it a few times. I had it a couple times when I had to get an MRI scan of my, um, my brain because I have to do that every few years. And usually I'm okay going into the scan, but they had said to me at one time, well, you know, if you feel anxious, you could take an Ativan. And I'm like, yeah, I actually do feel anxious. I just said that because I wanted to try it so bad, <laughs> you know? And I was like, this is fucking amazing. Like I get it. I, I mean, who doesn't want to escape life sometimes? I mean, and who doesn't want to get this confidence and this chill? I feel like if we always lived in this state of like just feeling good about ourselves, imagine what we could accomplish. Like that's how kind of makes you feel. It just makes you feel more confident. Like, hey, you know what? Life's pretty good. Yeah, that's true. You're making a great case for druggies. <laughs> I <know. laughs> I'm just saying I get it. I'm I'm not judging anyone here who follows that path. I think of course, once you, you take it too much, it stops working like every addict will say. Right. Yeah. And that's uh, obviously a big part of it is becoming addicted to it, uh, you know, being able to And use then it, it just stops working. You're just doing it for survival and not to have to deal with withdrawals. I mean, a lot of addicts will say, oh, I don't get high anymore from it. I just don't. I just get sick if I don't. Mm -hmm. Don't take it. Now, I know this is all very... Uh, preliminary, uh, you know, not approved for ingestion in Canada and things like that. But what do we know about, say, the effects in terms of uh, like your like driving compared with, say, alcohol and marijuana? You know, you're not supposed to drive while you're on those. Is this kind of the same thing? You know what? That's a really good question. I feel like I could drive much better on Kratom than I could on alcohol or anything. Because it, as I said, it doesn't make you feel invincible or it doesn't give you that. It doesn't make you all cloudy. Like if anything, Kratom helps you focus more. It like you can, you get energy to want to go do your housework, which is so hard to get energy for. So, I mean, like sometimes if I'll take like a yellow, I'll be like, I know I have like a task out of me. Like I had to like organize our attic. And I was like, hmm. I don't really want to do this. 
but maybe I'll just sprinkle some yellow in my yogurt and it'll give me extra oomph. So about how long have you been trying these now? Since September, I guess, oh. mid-September. Wow. Yeah. So that's uh, three, three or four months now you've been... Yeah. And you know what? I have um, had other people um, try it out and it's really interesting. And some people actually have no effect. Like a few people have said to me, oh, like this is in your head, Carlo. This doesn't even work. Like, so it's so subtle for them that they, they believe it's like phony, you know? And I'm like, oh, that's really interesting because maybe different strains work for different people. Maybe if somebody's already too chill, they don't need to be more chill. Could that, could they have taken more at that point or no? Yeah, maybe. But I, I just think that they are the personalities that seem to, I just think they're, they're very grounded, even keel type personalities and maybe just their brain doesn't need it. Yeah, I like I, I. It's really interesting because I, I literally like I gave it to my, to my mom to test, and she's like, I don't, I don't feel anything, and so I gave her a little bit more, and she's like, No, I think this is in your head, and I was like, Wow, like because it feels different for me. My mom is like just so, my mom is like the most grounded, optimistic person that, like she never sees the glass half empty ever. You know, like you can have the worst situation and she turns it around to a positive. So I literally believe that Kratom wouldn't be necessary for her brain dopamine releases. Whereas another friend of mine's going through um, a lot of pain right now. They're scheduled to get a hip replacement in July and she has a job that requires her to be quite active. And so she's been doing the red and it really has made a difference for her because she got prescribed oxys. But hasn't had to really use the oxys. And even her doctor said like, wow, like you don't really use that many. She's like, well, I don't want to use a lot of them. And yeah. And the oxy makes her kind of sleep. So she doesn't want to do that. She's be active and she feels the pain all the time. Thanks again for listening to Stand Up, Speak Up. We'll see you next time for part two of our series about Kratom. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.